quick word to the musicians. Uh, we're going to have the closing song right after the message rather than after the child dedication. So our closing song will be after the message. That'll give time for the um, proud parents to go get their children. So just that, that word of clarification. Let us have a word of prayer together as we bless the name of the Lord. Dear Father, we rejoice to know that you are the God who does all things well. We count it a joy and a privilege to be called your children through faith in Christ. We are both children, sons, and daughters of God, and with each term comes special relationship, whether of a responsibility or an adult placing, uh, whether it's to be more in fellowship by fulfilling one another concepts or being all that you would have us to be. So we thank you, Father, for the equipping of your church through gifted individuals. And that certainly is the case two weeks from now when Pastor Nathan Williams comes. So as we have this preparatory message, might it be one in which we'll learn about the Bible itself, but also to be thankful for all the riches that we do have in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, because we pray for his namesake. Amen. Well, part of my ministry here at the Woodhaven Bible Church is to fill out reference forms. Uh, People will be going to high school or college or seminary. They're uh, trying for a position at a local church in the business world on a mission board. And you've probably filled out your fair share in your life as I have in mine. And in filling out those reference forms, you want to be honest, and obviously you should be that way. And sometimes they're easy to fill out, and sometimes they're very difficult. I have in my hand one illustration of a reference form that was mailed to me. And uh, as often is the case, it says, um, if you have more to say, include this information on a separate sheet of paper. Well, after question one, I said, see attached letter. After question two, see attached letter. Question three, see attached letter. Four, five, six, see attached letter. Seven and eight, see attached letter. Nine and ten, see attached letter. Twelve, see attached letter. Very interesting filling out that, uh, that reference form. Uh, it happened to be at an uh, institute of higher learning, and the admissions office called me and said, Pastor Hans, we have never had such a thorough reference form in our whole life. <laughs> But when one is filled out, especially when looking for a job, there are three things that are always very important. First is education. Secondly, personality. Third, skill set. Because when you want to hire someone new, you want to make sure they are credentialed well with education, that they have a good personality. They're not bulls in china shops. And then a skill set, that is, they can do things that their resume says that they can do. Well, today I'd like to take some time to formally and officially commend and affirm Pastor Nathan Williams as our next pastor. Again, that's two weeks from today. The pastoral search committee made up of Kelly and Katie and Karen and Audra and Julie and Perry and Danny and Ron and Zach and yours truly, we had a wonderful time going through Uh, resumes and Skype interviews. I think we met about 20 times, and we believe that we have the man of God's own choosing. In reference to Nathan in in education, uh, he's very, very well educated. I myself have 
uh, a four-year, 120-semester-hour graduate degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. Mine's a 120. Well, Nathan did a 90 plus a 30 at two separate schools, two separate schools. The Master's Seminary, which is John MacArthur's place in, in California, and then a very, very famous Southern Baptist school uh, down in Kentucky. So I have a Master of Theology. Your new pastor will have a three-year Master of Divinity and a one-year Doctor of Ministry degree when he shows up. All are excellent seminaries, but the point is I want you to know by education, your new pastor is credentialed very, very well. Secondly, dealing with personality, I I think you're going to love this guy. (laughs) And that would be the desire of my heart that you would do just that. Uh, For the past six years, he's ministered to college-age students in Lynchburg, Virginia. And he's basically back at his home church, so he's been around his uh, mom and dad for the past six years of ministry. Now they're moving here to the downriver area, and his wife Bethany is from downriver. So her mom and dad and her siblings are very close by. So for the past six years... Nathan's grandparents got all the attention as grandparents. Now the shoe's on the other foot, and Bethany and uh, her family will be able to enjoy the grandchildren as well. Then the third thing about getting a job, of course, is a skill set. You need to have a good skill set. And for the past six years, uh, Nathan has ministered to millennials. You hear that name all the time, millennials. And there's a whole bunch of them here in the Down River area. So I think that he'll be uniquely and adequately equipped to, to minister to this new age group that's coming up, so important to the ministry of the Woodhaven Bible Church and its continuance more than just the 63 and a half years, uh, the past 33 under my auspices. But basically today, as I approach the Word of God, uh, I want to both commend and affirm um, Nathan Williams. And I'm going to do that by looking at a pastor that most people don't even know exists. He pastored the Church of Colossae, and his name is Pastor Epaphras. Epaphras. Not Epaphroditus from the book of Philippians, but Epaphras from the book of Colossians. So I'm going to use Pastor Epaphras as a template so I can share a few things that I would want you to know as you welcome your new pastor two weeks from today. So what we're going to do is go through the book of Colossians, and I'm going to quickly go through the, the eight roles and functions and ministries that this pastor had. I'll go through that somewhat quickly, and then we'll slow down a little bit more at the book of Colossians at chapter 4 at verse 12 and the first half of verse 13 and make some analogies, build some bridges between Epaphroditus, or pardon me, Epaphras, and uh, your new pastor. So let's start with the first of our two major divisions for this morning, which is very, very biblical, of course, an overview of Pastor Epaphras, an overview of Pastor Epaphras. And again, I'm taking this from the book of Colossians, and I'm going to go through it quite quickly, but I just want you to see what a wonderful man uh, Epaphras was in the first century in the city of Colossae. The first on our list of eight, our first on our list of eight, is that, number one, he was a church planter. He was a church planter. 
At Colossians chapter 1, the Bible talks about your faith in Christ. It talks about, in the next verse, you previously have heard of the word of truth, that is the gospel. Verse number 6, since the day you heard of the gospel and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. So as we read Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, as well as chapter 4, verse 13, Epaphras was a founding member of three churches, Colossae, where we're at now, and just up the road was Laodicea. You know that from the book of the Revelation. And close to that was the city of Hierapolis. So these three cities, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae, were all founded by Epaphras. So he was a church planter. He knew all about establishing a local church. Secondly, he was a pastor. Secondly, he was a pastor. And Colossians chapter 1, as well as Colossians chapter 4, has much to say about this. But the situation was basically this. Epaphroditus, I keep saying that, Epaphras, (laughs) Epaphras, was pastoring the church in Colossae, and now all of a sudden this, this heresy arose in it. We call it with the technical term incipient Gnosticism, which means there was a beginning of, of a theology that was really, really weird. It mixed Judaism with mysticism with legalism, and if you had these three elements together, you would be super spiritual. And a lot of people in the congregation were buying into it. So Pastor Epaphras left Colossae, Turkey, traveled to Rome, Italy, where Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And Epaphras befriended Paul and said, I have this pastoral concern about doctoral deviation in the church, and I need your advice because you're an apostle And I want to stay here long enough to minister to your soul, but I really have to get back before too long. So you can see that the real heart of this man, that doctrinal purity, was of extreme importance to him. He was a church planter. He was a pastor. Thirdly, he was a slave. At chapter 1, verse 7, he calls himself a bondservant. At chapter 4, verse 12, he's also called a bondslave a bondservant, a bondslave. In other words, this man knew how to serve other people. He loved preaching the word, but he loved to serve the people of God that were under his watchful eye. He had that servant-slave mentality. He realized that as a slave of God and a slave of Christ, he was redeemed from the slave market of sin because a new owner, the Lord Jesus Christ, purchased him with his own blood to buy him out from the slave market of sin into the family of God that he might serve a living and true God. A church planter, a pastor, a servant hyphen slave. And number four on our list is the word minister. The word minister at Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. And this word for minister is the Greek word diakonos, from which we get our word deacon. So, so Epaphras was a minister, that is, he was a deacon, that is, he was a literal dust raiser, as I have said many, many times from this pulpit. The word deacon or diakonos in Greek comes from the word dia, which means through and across, like the word diameter. And the kanos is the Greek word for dust, dust and dirt. 
So a deacon served by going through dust. He was a dust raiser. He didn't raise Cain. He raised dust. In other words, he was a servant. He was a minister. Again, the servant, the doulos, and the minister, the diakonos, they overlap, but they are different words, but sometimes they're both translated servant in our English Bibles, but I need to be a little bit more precise. But there's a um, fifth thing that he was at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, the Bible says that he informed, he informed Paul about love in the Holy Spirit. And that word informed is a very, very technical word, and I'm going to translate it by the word witness. It could be translated informant, like a governor, a government informant, or an expert witness. And again, at Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 8, Paul says that, that Epaphras clearly gave evidence and testimony and significance to the, the Christian love that the Colossian church had. Then number six on our list of eight, number six on our list of eight, we have to slide to the book of Philemon at verse 23, where Paul says that he is a fellow prisoner, a fellow prisoner of Christ Jesus, just as Paul was. So maybe there was some guilt by association, and Rome looked at Pastor Epaphras and said, if you like Paul so much, why don't you go to jail with him? We don't know. It could have been indeed that case. Number seven on our list of eight, he was a prayer. He was a prayer. And we'll see much more of that. In the New Testament, the highest praise Paul ever gave to one who prayed was to Pastor Epaphras. And then number eight on our list, lastly, number eight, is the word counselor. Because Colossians 4.13 says that he had, quote, a deep concern for you, close quote, a deep concern for you as he counseled these converts in the way of truth. So Pastor Epaphras was a church planter, a pastor, a servant hyphen slave, a minister, a witness, a prisoner, a prayer, and a counselor. Sounds like a great guy to me. Did you even know that he existed in the Bible? But to add icing to the cake, there are two adjectives that are used to describe him at chapter 1 and verse 7. The first adjective is beloved, and the second adjective is faithful. So he was a beloved and faithful church planter. He was a beloved and faithful minister. He was a beloved and faithful counselor. And you can add those two adjectives to the eight nouns that I just explained. But now, now we want to slow down a little bit more and go to Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse 12 and the first half of verse 13. Again, we're going to go to the book of Colossians at chapter 4, at verse 12, and the first half of verse 13. And here we're going to go much more slowly because we're going to see about eight subpoints in that, that, in that verse. So we're going to go slowly, and at this time, I'm going to share some things that I would want you to know, especially two weeks from now, as you prepare for Nathan Williams to come with his wife, Bethany, and their four children, Caitlin, Cole, Stella, and Gray. So I'm going to be looking at uh, Colossians chapter 4, and I have another eight subpoints, another eight subpoints, but they will be quick. The first would be the word person, and that's how verse number 12 begins. Epaphras. 
He was his own person. God made him in that way. Yes, he was a church planter and a pastor and a servant and a minister and a witness and a prisoner and a prayer and a counselor, but he was also, Ep- he was also Epiphras. He was his own person, so to speak. And when Nathan comes, I want you to acknowledge his gifts and his personality as one who has been uniquely created by God. The worst thing you could ever do is to begin to compare him to me. You don't want to do that. Paul says to the Corinthian people, you compare yourselves with each other and thus become, in the Greek text, moros, from which we get our word moron. You are a spiritual moron if you compare one to the other. What this church needs is one Nathan. What this church does not need are two Gregs. So just as Epiphras was a believer that had been gifted by God, I want you to accept him how God has made him. Now, I'm kind of in the preaching, loving, serving, blessing. You've heard that in the past week, and hopefully you've heard that my whole ministry Those are the four pillars that I have chosen as a pastor to erect here at the Woodhaven Bible Church. Those are not necessarily Nathan's pillars. He might be, he might be a preacher, a discipler, a counselor, and a church planner. He might be a leader, a soul winner, a vision caster, and an encourager. I know him a little bit. I don't know him well enough to know his philosophy of ministry. But I do know one thing. His heart is in the right place. And therefore, allow him the freedom to minister within the gifts that God has given him. He is a person. Secondly, number two, as we read the verse, is the word partner. The word partner. The next clause, who is one of your number? I just, I just like that expression. He's one of your number. People and pastor, they're all in the same group. They're all in the same number. And again, uh, the church of Laodicea, the church of Hierapolis, the church of Colossae, was blessed to have a pastor who considered himself one of the number. The church that I was raised in spiritually, there was a deep gulf from the pulpit to the first pew. I never dreamt in a million years to call him by his first name, to ask him out for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or to be in the area and stop by to his house. I would die before I do any one of those things, because that's how they did it way back then. When I came here, just the opposite. I want you to accept Nathan as one of our number as he ministers in your midst. Warmly welcome him. When I came, I was almost 34 years old. Nathan, when he comes in two weeks, he'll be 35 and a half. I came with seven-ninths of a child. (laughs) He comes with four, four children. Accept them, love them, make them feel part of the family. Make them feel part of the team that is Very, very important. They want to be counted 
amongst the number of the elect saints here at the Woodhaven Bible Church. Now, Nathan, as great as he is, he's not perfect. He will make mistakes. But I want you to build a canopy of love over him and his family because love builds a roof over a multitude of sins. He's one of your number. He's part of your family. He's part of the team. The person, the partner. Number three, position, position. A bond slave of Jesus Christ who sends you his greetings. The position, of course, is of a bond slave. We looked at that just a few minutes ago. But I like the King James Bible that talks about a bond slave in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 in the authorized version as a yoke fellow. A yoke fellow. I just like that word. Yoke fellow. I could preach that Jesus was a carpenter, and as a carpenter, he made yokes for oxen, and I could wax eloquent on that. But the point I want to make is this Nathan, as a pastor, must be a bond servant. He must be a servant. You've heard me say many times the high priest wore a breastplate with the 12 names of the 12 tribes of Israel on his chest and on his shoulders. The high priest bore all 12 names by his heart because he was to love them. And the high priest bore all 12 tribes' names on his shoulders to serve them, to put his shoulder to the work. And that's what Nathan will need to do, and I'm sure that he's going to do that. He might work, labor, serve, and toil differently than I do. That's okay, That's wonderful. That's how God gifts people. I would want you, please, to fulfill the book of 1 Thessalonians at chapter 5, which at verse 13, that says, May you esteem Nathan very highly in love because of the work that he does. That is a term and expression used for elders and pastors at 1 Thessalonians 5.13, but to esteem someone very highly in love because of the work that they do. And most certainly you have done that toward me, and I don't see any reason why you can't be the same way toward him. Cut him some slack as he learns the Woodhaven Bible Church ropes, and there are a lot of them. (laughs) Give Nathan the benefit of the doubt because he doesn't know the dynamics of this church. He doesn't know your personality. So be sure to cut him slack. Be sure to give him the benefit of the doubt. The person, the partner, the position. Now number four on our list of eight, number four on our list of eight would be perseverance, perseverance. The next three words, always laboring earnestly. Always laboring earnestly. Earnestly. Now, if all he did was labor, that would be good. If he labored earnestly, that would be better. But if he labored earnestly always, that would be best. And that's the idea. He's in it for the long haul. He's in it for the marathon, not the sprint. In fact, this particular expression in the Greek language at verse number 12 is the Greek verb agonizomai. And from agon, we get our word agony. Agony is to strive together. 
So it basically says here that just as Jesus strove in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and the blood burst through his uh, temple capillaries, uh, and, and, and just as Jesus did that, we can have a ministry as pastors of always laboring earnestly. And that's a very, very important thing. I would want his honeymoon to last as long as mine did. Mine lasted about 25 years before the honeymoon ended. But 25 years, that's great. I've been married to Joyce 37. We're still on our honeymoon as far as I'm concerned. She doesn't think so, but I do. (laughs) But if you want his honeymoon to be sweet, you're going to have to volunteer a whole lot more than you are now. You will discourage him to the nth degree if you don't come to play, if you don't come to serve, and you don't come to minister. We have a great team on the field. They're excellent, but our bench is weak. And if you want him to persevere, you're going to have to step up. Because if you don't, you'll discourage him right out of the starting blocks. And you don't want to do that. When I was down in Dallas, and I loved it there, as you well know, I went to a very famous Southern Baptist church, the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. And on their letterhead, on their letterhead, it says, when I was a student, in the past 94 years, we have only had two pastors. Two pastors in 94 years. George Washington Truett and Wally Amos Criswell. Now, wouldn't it be great Wouldn't it be great if the Woodhaven Bible Church stationery in the year 2050, in the year 2050, would read, in the past 66 years, we've only had two pastors. Greg, what's his name? And Nathan Williams. He will persevere If you help hold the ropes, let us continue in the Bible verse with the next word, which is prayer. The next three words, in his prayers, in his prayers. Just a little Bible ordination kind of quiz. In the eyes of God, who were the five best prayers in the Old Testament? And if you quickly run to Jeremiah 15.1, as well as Ezekiel 14.14, you'll get the right answer. Moses, Samuel, Noah, Daniel, and Job are the best prayers in the Old Testament with Bible verses to prove it. And it would be extremely wonderful if Nathan would have a ministry of prayer like Pastor Epiphras. Very few can come to that high mark, but there's always a goal that is set before us. But to state the obvious by way of application, why don't you pray for Nathan and Bethany? Why don't you pray for their four children, especially in the first year of their ministry in our midst? That would be a wonderful, wonderful encouragement. Uh, Going to the book of Exodus at chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17, there's a battle going on and Moses is praying 
And as he prays with uplifted arms, his arms are getting heavy, and he just doesn't have that much strength anymore. But then two guys, two guys, Aaron and Hur, Aaron and Hur, as in Ben-Hur, that guy Hur, they said, would you mind, Moses, if we put a chair under your rump and each of us would hold your arms so you can continue in your intercessory prayer that there might be military and spiritual victory. You might not be able to pray like Epiphras does, very few can, but could you hold up an arm? Could you be a her? Could you be an Aaron for five or ten minutes? If that were to happen, his prayer life would be augmented by your prayer life. We all pray differently, but God knows our hearts. And Pastor Epiphras could do it better than anybody else in the New Testament, and therefore he leaves us a wonderful example. But let us continue. We've had person and partner and position and perseverance and prayer. And now number six on our list of eight, number six on our list of eight would be the word petitions, petitions, that you may stand perfect and fully assured that you may stand perfect and fully assured. And remember, it's important, this is the pastor's prayer for you, not your prayers for him. He wants you to be perfect, that is mature, that is strong, that is equipped for the ministry. And his second prayer request is that you would be fully assured. That is that you will be complete, you'll be confident, you'll be assured that you are doing what God wants you to do as a child, as a son, as a daughter in a spiritual family. Now, the petitions are completely different than when I started 33 years ago. I just noticed some contrasts uh, just when I came to what's happening right now. When I came, you had to talk about Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, and Chuck Swindoll. 33 years ago, that was cool. Nowadays, if you don't talk about Timothy Keller, Andy Stanley, or Matt Chandler, you're a nobody. When I first came here, it was church growth conferences. Now it's passion conferences. When I came here initially 33 years ago, it was seeker-friendly, and barrier-free. Now it's the Gospel Project, the Gospel Coalition, to be missional. And every fifth sentence out of your mouth better have glory, holy, grace, or sovereign, or you're not a good Christian. How times have changed how vocabulary has changed. Five years ago, everything was transformational. Now you don't even hear the word. But five years ago, this is the evolution. But you know what stays the same? Book, chapter, verse. Exposition of the text. And I trust that he'll have a love for it as even I do. When I came, it was drama and skits. Now it's fog machines and (laughs) earplugs. We had some levity back 33 years ago with John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement. Now we have Joel Osteen.
there's nothing new under the sun, but the Bible stands firm and true as a biblical absolute, and I have loved my time here with you in the Word. But we have to continue. We're not done with this verse yet because verse number 12 ends with our seventh key word, which is path. Path means in all the will of God, in all the will of God. Our path in life is the will of God. Now, the Greek word for will is also translated, and I like the other translations better, the word desire and pleasure. The words desire and pleasure are biblical synonyms for will. So the will of God is the desire of God. The will of God is the pleasure of God. And to make things easy to remember, which I know you won't, but just for the sake of homiletics, the idea of the will of God involves the word, the way, the work, the witness, and the worship. And these five things are going to consume your new pastor. The Word of God, preaching and teaching the Bible. I get a kick out of it, and I know he will as well. Secondly, the way, that is the road of the, of, of, and the path to godliness and maturity. Everybody under the sun has a book or a CD about how you can become more godly. The work, we have to do something We have to expend foot-pounds of energy for the kingdom of God on earth to be salt, to be light. You can't snooze. you got to work. Report for duty. Witness, sharing your faith, evangelizing, telling your life story. We need to do that. And then, of course, fifthly is worship. That is worshiping him in spirit and in truth. So in one sense, um, Pastor Nathan has a lot in store for him. The word, the way, the work, the witness, the worship. And all that is in the will of God. There's an old song, I've grown accustomed to your smile. And one of the weaknesses of the Woodhaven Bible Church is you're accustomed to Greg. You're accustomed to my sermons. You're accustomed to my service. But I'm out of here next week. So now the reality sets in. There's the Greg way and there's the Woodhaven way. But now there's going to be a new kid on the block. Not a boy band. But a man of God raised up to preach Christ and him crucified. New ideas, new insights, new spins. That's refreshing. That's good. And that is exciting. And then lastly, the first line of verse number 13, number 8 on our list, the first line of verse 13, for I testify for him, here it is, that he has a deep concern for you. A deep concern for you, we call that the word pathos. The word pathos means to arouse feelings of compassion and concern. And every pastor must love his people and serve his people and teaches people and try the best to bless them. And that's what I've been trying to do. And I have failed many, many times. But trust me, my heart was in it all the way. So deep concern for you, verse 13 says, I want Nathan to fall in love with you 
as I have. Oliver Cromwell was having his official portrait painted, and the painter was kind of stuttering and stumbling and, and balking. And Oliver Cromwell looked at that painter, that portrait master, and knew what was on his mind and said to that portrait master, that painter, Oliver Cromwell said, paint me, warts and all. (laughs) The painter could eliminate every wart, every blemish, but Oliver Cromwell said, no, paint me, warts and all. And you've seen my warts, I've seen your warts. And you know what? We love each other. That's cool. That's wonderful. And I want that experience, that pathos, to be in the life of, of Nathan Williams as he comes here two weeks from now. So we had eight quick things, the overview of Epiphras. And then we looked at him as a pastor, the person, the partner, the position, the perseverance, the prayer, the petition, the path, and the pathos. Let me conclude before we have our child dedication. Um, As you know, I sort of like biblical languages. So let me tell you about Nathan. Nathan is from the Hebrew word Natan, which occurs like a thousand times. Because as a verb, his name means give. G-I-V-E, give. But when you give as a verb, it turns into a noun, which is the word gift. So give is the verb, noun is the gift. So I want you to know that God has given to the Woodhaven Bible Church as a resurrection gift, Nathan Williams and his wife, Bethany. He was given as a verb, as a gift. That's the noun. That's what his name means. Receive him as such. Love him as such. Encourage him as such. Now his wife is Bethany. I love the English name. I'm not too fond of the Hebrew name. Hebrew is two words. Beth is the standard Hebrew word for house. Like Bethel is the house of God. Beth Ani, you know what Ani means in Hebrew? Pain. The house of pain. That's what her name means in Hebrew. A house of pain. See, Lazarus was from... Bethany and John chapter 11, there's a lot of tears, a lot of crying. The city was named correctly because of what happened. It was a house of pain. Lazarus died. So I want you to honor Nathan as as a gift, a resurrection, ascension gift of God to this congregation. And I don't want ever to hear that any of you have made Bethany's life a house of pain. That'll boil my soul. So don't tell me. (laughs) Well, I have said enough. There's a lot of good things on the horizon of the Woodhaven Bible Church. I commend the pastoral search committee and all the labors that Zach Johnson did as our coordinator and leader to find Nathan Williams. I affirm to you publicly that Nathan Williams has been called by God to be your next pastor. And I both affirm and confirm that I gladly pass my pastoral baton and torch to Nathan Williams. 
I feel confident in his leadership and his lifestyle, the, the times I've been exposed to him. So I gladly entrust Woodhaven Bible Church's future into his hands, and may you do the same. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for letting me be a pastor of a church. And I want to thank you that in your faithfulness, in your faithfulness, you've sent Nathan Williams our way. In a couple of weeks from now, things will change to the nth degree. But that is good. You never rob Peter to pay Paul. And I rejoice that I can give this church to someone who seems to be as godly, as equipped as Nathan Williams. So might these dear people just encourage him as I have been blessed over these decades. And might two weeks from today be a good day, one that he'll never forget. As we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the builder of our church. Amen.